Well, it is a new year, a new opportunity, new chance for new beginnings, I guess. Uh, man, I, I'm excited for the new year. I hope you are too. Uh, I'm excited for what 2019 can bring. 2018 is hopefully behind us and gone and never to be talked about again. Right. Um, yeah, ever got a new phone? Oh. I know. It's so nice, right? New games. It's a little bit faster, a little bit prettier. But uh, back in the day when you got a new phone, you weren't always able to keep your phone number. Now it's kind of like universal. You get a new phone, you get to keep your old number. But every now and then, whether you change it on purpose, right, or uh, you for some reason have to get a new number, it comes with its consequences, Mainly is that you don't have other people's numbers. You ever get in a text message thread? Someone texts you, hey man, loved our conversation we had a couple weeks ago. Um, can't wait for dinner next week. But you don't have their number saved. Right? And so you go all detective-like trying to figure out who it is. And you reply with, hey, buddy. It was great seeing you there and talking about that. Um, it's so exciting, right? And before you know it, you're four or five text messages deep before you realize you should have just at the beginning said, Hey, sorry, new phone, who this? That's how the kids say, who's this? We hope that this next year can be true. You can say the same thing. That this next year, man, you can, uh, I should say, as this next year, people, friends, men and women, we can strive to search and to pursue Jesus the best we can so that when people, uh, so that people might recognize more of Jesus and less of us. John the Baptist says that Jesus, that he must become greater and we must become less. So we hope that at the beginning of 2019, as you pursue Jesus, that you can say, uh, new me. That's a new me. I'd like to start by reading uh, just a verse from Lamentations. Um, and this would be a great uh, verse for you for 2019. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Uh, if you would like a Bible, we have some volunteers right here. Josh is over here. Corey's over here. Uh, they would love to bring you a Bible. We're going to be in the book of John uh, right here um, this morning. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to be in the book of John, the gospel of John, I should say. We'd love for you to follow along. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love for you to keep this Bible. We want it to be yours. Take it home and study it. You can follow us on the Version app. You can follow us on the Restore Church app. Uh, you can follow us on the screens. Uh, but the problem with these screens is that you can't take them home with you. And so if you're going to study God's Word, you need a mobile device, a tablet, or, uh, or the Bible. Here's a question that's been looming large within our society and actually throughout history is the question is, who is Jesus? C.S. Lewis talks about this question of, 
He says that we all must at some point in our days answer the question truthfully and faithfully, who is Jesus? At the end of our studies, you'll either come out with three answers. He's either a liar, a really good liar. He's either a lunatic, a really crazy lunatic, or he's Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. It's got to be one of the three. And people have been striving to answer this question, who is Jesus, since the beginning, or since he was, he was born, right? We, we saw through the Christmas series, uh, people are traveling all over just to see this baby and answer the question, who is Jesus? We've had politicians trying to answer this question. We have celebrities trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? You know, If we're going to really dive into pursuing Jesus in 2019 as a church and as individuals and as families, as, I don't know, homemakers or home leaders, as spiritual men and spiritual women, as teenagers trying to change our our high schools for Christ, if we're going to do that, I think one of the fundamental, if not the most fundamental question you have got to ask answer is, who is Jesus? If I were to ask you that question, who is Jesus, what would your answer be? See, here's the thing about Jesus is he's not merely, he's not merely conservative or liberal. He's not exclusively a priest, a prophet, or a king. And he's not only religious. He's not only social. He's not only political. The thing about the person Jesus is he is conservative and he's liberal. Jesus is the prophet, the priest, and our king. Jesus is religious. Jesus is social. And believe it or not, Jesus is political. Man, he is so expansive And it's our job to determine through the pages of Scripture the answer to who is Jesus. Maybe you've been answering this question your whole life by using Jesus as a Sunday school answer. Sunday school. Um, Back in the day, Sunday school was this class they would have before church. You would wear real itchy clothes to church, and then you would sit real uncomfortably in these tiny, hard chairs and play with flannel graph. Some, uh, some of you remember Sunday school. Jesus was, it was either Jesus, Moses, or Paul. Those were the answers in Sunday school. Maybe if I were to ask you who is Jesus, it would just be about tradition for you. Or maybe you're not really sure who Jesus is. Hey, if that's you, it's perfect. We're glad that you're here. Ask all the questions you want. We, we are a safe place for you to discover who Jesus is. Maybe for, Jesus, maybe for you, Jesus just makes you feel good. He should, but that's not all he should do. Maybe for you, Jesus is a guilt trip. He makes you feel bad. It, the idea of Jesus makes you feel bad about your past. Or maybe it's your parents who hold it over your head that you need to be in church. Otherwise, you will feel, uh, otherwise they will make you feel guilty. Maybe Jesus for you is fiction. Maybe he's unjust. Or moral mop that you can clean up on Sunday mornings, your mess that you made throughout the week. 
Maybe for you, Jesus is nothing at all, and you're just here because the coffee is good, which is true. Plug for Brood downtown. I want, uh, over the next couple weeks, for you to forget what you think you might know about Jesus. We're going to go, we're going to do, we're going to, for 2019, we are going to study the book of John together. Now, we're not going to go straight through, we're going to break it into parts. In the first six weeks, we're going to do this series called, What's Up? New Me, Who Dis? And you have to say it like that. Who Dis? But we're going to let John tell us about Jesus. His goal in writing the Gospel of John, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's goal is for, at the end, for you to really know who Jesus is, that he is both 100% human and 100% God. Um, As we go through the year, we're going to break it into other parts, and so uh, maybe you can go ahead and, and get ahead on that. So why don't you open up your Bibles to, uh, to John. Um, if you open up in the middle, just go a little bit further to the right, you'll start seeing names like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then it's John. Uh, right after is the book of Acts. So if you stop seeing names, you've gone too far. Uh, you're following along on the uh, Restore app, the Version app, the screens, uh, however you've got to see God's Word. Here's the thing about John. I really, really love the book of John. If I could spend, if you said, Roger, you have to preach from one book the rest of your life. First one would be Philippians, so I can't lie about that. But the second one would be uh, the gospel of John. Uh, You know John. You know someone like this. Jesus had 12 disciples. It's really his closest friends, the people that were following him that would carry on his mission once he ascended into heaven. Of those 12 closest friends, Jesus had really an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. But even among those three, there was one special, and it was John. In the Gospel of John, John doesn't refer to himself as John. Maybe it's to keep, so we're not confused, between him and John the Baptist. But you know how he refers to himself? What a jerk. He probably got beat up by the rest of the disciples once they read his gospel. He refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Man, I'm telling you what, if Simon the Zealot didn't want to beat him up before, he sure does now. The one Jesus loved. And so, can you imagine that depth of relationship and seeing and sharing the experiences that you have with Jesus, and then you sit down to write a story about him. The Gospel of John is packed full of emotion, full of imagery. John doesn't really hold much back. He's the author of the Gospel of John, and then 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And you'll see that as he writes, he talks about love more than any other person in the New Testament. He's like, man, I want everybody to know the story of my best friend, my Savior, the Messiah. I want everyone to know exactly who he is. And so I'm going to write this. So not only will the Jewish friends read it, but the Gentile community will read it also. Gentile, fancy word for anyone who is not Jewish. And so we're going to see it all. 
You see it all through the book of John, but knowing those things are crucial for us as we jump into the beginning. All right, so without further ado, let's jump in to maybe the most heavy chapter in the Bible. You ready? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. <gasps> All right. We're just going to walk through a couple of these verses together. Uh, here, here's a way to win Bible trivia the next time. The next time you and your friends are at a, having just like this dinner rager party and you're playing Bible trivia. Here's your question. Uh, what two books of the Bible begin exactly the same? Genesis and John. You knew that because John is up here. But that's exactly right, and so you would win the Rager Party game. In the beginning was the Word. So imagine you open up, you're Jewish. Imagine you open up the Bible, or you open up this story, and uh, it's John. You don't know the, how the story goes. You just stumbled upon it in your, I don't know, Mediterranean library. And you open up the first page, and then you read, In the beginning. Where is your mind going to? It's going to the very beginning of the Bible. <clears throat> this is not on accident. John wants every Jewish person to know it's about to go down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All right, so here's what we know from these few verses. We know, first of all, that the Word is a person, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in vicinity, and the Word was God in nature. He, verse 2 says, was with God in the beginning. All right, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and tell you that we eventually come to find out that John tells us that the Word is Jesus. Okay? All right, now forget you know that, but just for the moment. Um, but as he paints this picture, you're going to start to wonder, if this is the first few verses you're reading, you'll start to wonder, who is this word? And if he was there with God in the beginning, I've got to know him. I've got to meet him. I, I want to read more about this, this word. I, I want to know because he was, he was with God and he was what? He was God? That's amazing. Now, people will teach this incorrectly sometimes, and they'll say, man, the word, God's word. That's just not right. God, John is not referring us back to the Bible simply because that can't make sense, right? The Bible is not God, and it was not with God in the beginning. Um, why does God, or why does John refer to Jesus as the word, the Greek word logos. Well, because words is how, are how we reveal. Words are how we tell, we illustrate. It's, it's how we communicate. God's biggest way of communicating with us, you want to learn most about God? Jesus. It's his biggest revelation about himself is the nature of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And so... In the beginning was this word. I've got to know who this is. He was not only with God, but he was God. And so here's 
going to help you out if you're taking notes. These are some things to write down. One thing we learn about from verses 1 and 2 is this, is that the Word is equal to God. The Word is God. And we're going to go through this together. So as we finish each scripture passage, we'll throw up there something that looks like this. And it'll say, the Word is God. So who are we trying to find out about? We're trying to find out about the Word. Now the rest of John chapter 1 is telling us about the, the Word. All right? Verse 3. Through Him all things were made. There is no doubt that John is trying to tie back to the creation, right? To Genesis chapter 1. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John is still trying to teach us about the word, and here's what we learn. Not only is the word God, but we find out that this word was present in creation. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Y'all, Jesus was, I'm sorry, the word was present in creation. Not a, and he wasn't just a bystander. He wasn't just sitting around and it's like, God, that platypus, it's pretty good. You did good there. Hey, God, you didn't have to make mosquitoes, dude. That's just not cool. And then God was like, you are my son. Be quiet. And he's like, sorry, daddy. <laughs> now, he wasn't a bystander. Jesus was an active participant in creation. Remember at the end of Genesis chapter 1, God says, Let us make man in our image. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all there in the beginning, uh, creating. So we know that he is creating. Then in verse 4, it says, In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do we have that slide uh, that, that we, can, um, we can show right here? The creator, um, he's a life giver, and he is the light. Now, here's, here's where this resembles. Um, the word is God. We're still trying to learn this. So if you're taking notes in, in your bulletin, the word is God. Now we're trying to find out about who this word is. He was a present role in creation. Man, to create something requires power, especially in the way that God did it. When it says that in the beginning God created, the word creation, the, Greek, or the Hebrew, I'm sorry, the Hebrew is ech nihilo. Now when you say Hebrew words, you have to spit from the back of your throat. Ech nihilo. And it means from nothing and with nothing. With no tools and from no substance, God created. He spoke everything into being. Power. From the beginning, God created and creation equals power. But then he gives us life. Man, 
That is love. With the power that he has, he decides instead of just, I don't know, in a universe that he has at his existence or at his disposal, he could have just shown his power over and over and over and however he wanted to show it, but he shows it through creating life. And by creating us in his image, he desires a relationship. That is love. And then John tells us in verse 5 that the light shines in darkness and darkness has not overcome it. Light, I'll say it this way, darkness cannot exist in light. But light shines brightest in the darkness. That shows this word, whoever this word is, is good. And he is perfect. If you read through John, the book of John, if you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John has this thing about light and darkness. It's like the only analogy he can have. It's like going to church every week and the preacher somehow figuring out a way to make Clemson a part of the sermon. It's like you don't necessarily have to do it, but you can't think of anything else, you know, like a national championship or something. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, if you're a real Christian, you'll watch it. And if you're a real no, I shouldn't have said that. Because if you're a real Christian, you'll watch it and pull for Clemson. Sometimes I say things and I just need to not. Verses 9 through 13, let's keep learning about the word. I'm just glad that you guys are following along with me and we're, we're in God's word. Um, look, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, again, remove yourself from 2,000 years of history. And if you were to put yourself in a first century chair and you're reading about this word, so far this this being is unconceivable. Like you can't imagine something like this. And you're trying to figure out all, like you're trying to figure it out. Man, I got to know. I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. And then all of a sudden, verse 9 tells us that the light, that the true light gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Oh, man, we got to be on the lookout for this dude, right? We got to know who this is. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Verse 10, this tells us something. Obviously, the book of John, the gospel of John, was written after the life of Jesus, John was not writing it scene by scene uh, and, you know, publishing it chapter by chapter. Okay, this happened. Jesus performed a miracle. I'm writing it. This happened. He might have been taking notes, but the, the whole book as a whole is written after the fact. And so John, in like this prologue at the beginning of the book, is like giving you a glimpse of what's coming. And maybe for a Jewish person to read verse 10 that he was in, wait, he was already here? Did I miss him? Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize it. Maybe I did. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. How in the world is that possible? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, for a Jewish audience, which John was intended to be read first by a Jewish audience, eventually by Gentiles, 
They, they read children of God and they're like, all right, we're back in business. That's us. And we're children of God because we're Jewish. And then he says, children not born of natural descent. What? Nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. What we find out about this being is that now he is an intercessor between you and I. I don't know if you're Jewish, but I'm not Jewish. So I'm a Gentile. There is no way for me by natural descent to achieve a relationship with God. There has to be a way in between. And so he does. This word is a creator, a life giver, the light. And now he is an intercessor between me and God. Check this out. God is on this word, is on our side. I would be real scared up until this point if this being was not for me. But what we find out is he came so that you and I or everybody could be a child of God. Man, the anticipation through John chapter 1 continues to grow. There's a few verses in between that we're not going to read. They talk about John the Baptist. Go back and read about him. He's a great example for a Christ follower. But verse 14, John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Can uh, we put those back up there? I, I want you to see this. The word is God. We, we learned that from the very beginning, right? John says it. The word was with God and the word was God. And then he's a creator that is powerful. I want to meet a God who is powerful, don't you? Oh, I would love it. I would love to have a, a God who is not only powerful, but is loving with his power. Now, some of us unfortunately have known fathers who have power, but no love. To have power and love is a combination worth desiring. So, guys, husbands, um, your power is useless without love. Show both, and they will magnify one another. God, I want to know this word because he is powerful and he's loving and he's good. I want to know a God who is powerful and loving and good, don't you? Not only that, what if he was powerful and good and loving and then decides that he's going to be on your side? Yes, you. You, who doesn't deserve to be in here because of your sin, because of the past you've lived, because of the things you've done, because of that one thing that haunts you, you're like, ah, man, I don't know. But yeah, this thing, this word is on your side. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, he puts on flesh. And all of this becomes 
a person. Now the Jewish reader is trying to figure out. Remember, it's long past. He's gone. He's ascended into heaven. Now the Jewish reader is trying to remember who it is. Who was it that came and represented God and God's power and God's love and God's goodness and God's intercession for us? It was Jesus. He put on flesh and dwelt among us. The message, which is a great companion to study in Scripture, it's not a replacement, but the message translation um, in John chapter 1, verse 14 says, He put on flesh and lived among us. Uh, he moved into the neighborhood, not as a commuter, but to stay. I love the way that they illustrate that. He became flesh. The word became flesh. The creator became flesh. The life giver became flesh. The light became flesh. The way maker became flesh. Not only that, but he decided to live among us. God, putting on flesh, could have done anything. He could have lived on a mountain and said, you have to travel to see me. You have to pray certain prayers or reach a certain peak of spirituality to connect with me. And you know what? We would still do it. But instead, he decided to live among sinners. Man, it says in that verse, chapter 14, that he became flesh so that we could see God's glory, which is the glory of the Son from the Father that's full of grace and truth. This is significant. And I said it might be one of the most powerful and most important chapters in all of the Bible, that God became flesh to live among us. But I'd like to illustrate it in another way. Now, this is significant. Go through the Christmas story, and there are some scandals in the Christmas story, right? We just finished the Christmas season. You remember Herod killing a bunch of babies. Man, that's crazy. You hear about uh, uh, Joseph and Mary and this, like, really strange relationship. They were engaged. She becomes pregnant. He's like, I want to divorce you in private so that you're not embarrassed. But the Holy Spirit comes and tells Joseph, what? Don't do it. She's become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I always thought that to be weird. I went to Bible college still thinking that to be weird because I know how babies are made. And so I thought, man, this is not that significant of a portion of Scripture. But what, I come to, what I've come to find out is you can't believe the gospel to be true and not believe in a virgin birth. Why? Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 22 to 23 uh, they say, it says it like this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, I, I thought this to be weird. So why? That's the question. Why is this significant? Why should you have this underlined in your Bible or highlighted on the Bible app? Well, the reason that this has to be true, okay, is to fulfill prophecy from Isaiah. Okay, good answer. But why is this a prophecy? Why does this child have to be 100% God and 100% man? So, of course, for the virgin birth to be, um, one of the reasons of why this has to be is so that the child is 100% God, 100% man, right? 
Max Lucado coined the phrase that he is the God man. He's not 50-50, you're 50% your mom, 50% your dad. Um, but Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. That's a good answer of why this might be the case, but why does he have to be 100% God, 100% man? We're about to have a lot of fun. How does the beginning of John begin? In the beginning. How does the beginning of Genesis begin? In the beginning. So we have a little timeline here, and I, I want you to see this, all right? Um, this world represents creation. Can we say that together? Uh, I mean, can, can we agree on that? This represents creation. I guess we made the graphics, so we get to decide what it says. So yes, it means creation. Um, now, there are four attributes of God that you and I will never have. God's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He knows everything. God is uh, I mean, God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere. God is omniscient. He knows everything. We will, never, uh, we will never gain those attributes. But there's one more that we will never gain and we cannot share with God, and that is that God is eternal. Now, I have for, you know, until I started to study this, when the word eternal comes to mind, we think of now and forever, always existing, because it says that you will have which is a bad translation, eternal life. But the real world, the real, real, the real word is everlasting life. It will last forever, but it's not eternal. Because a real definition of eternal is not only from creation on, but always existing. Everything you've ever known has a beginning and will have an end, right? We cannot grasp, we cannot wrap our minds around the fact that God does not have a beginning. Exactly. In the beginning, God created, meaning God already existed before creation. Whew, this is getting good, okay? So that, that's, a, that's a big deal. And John plays on that, the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that means that the Word is eternal. Jesus turned down voluntarily the attributes of God that are omniscient, although there are times he knows what people are thinking. He's revealed to by, by the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus turns down his all power, but there are times through the Holy Spirit that he does a miracle. God, Jesus, by becoming flesh and by nature, he turns down his omnipresence. Jesus can't be everywhere at once because he put on flesh. But the one attribute of, of Jesus that he did not turn down and that Satan could not take away from him was his eternality. And so John ties that in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was there in creation. All right, there is, uh, this is our timeline. So right here is January 6, 2019. That is today. New 
year new me. And there's a lot that happens in, from creation to, to now, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, other people in the Bible. Then we get right here. And uh, we're going to use this cross right here to represent uh, the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's, here's, here's what's significant. We're still asking the question of why does this, why does, um, why, why does the virgin birth of Jesus matter? Well, because he has to be 100% God, 100% human. Yes, but why? In John chapter 1, we don't, no one speaks about Jesus well, no, let me say it this way. In John chapter 1, the first person to speak about Jesus is John the Baptist. And the name he uses for Jesus is interesting. So we're going to look at the scripture, then we're going to come back to this. Matthew, or John chapter 1, verse 29, it says this. I don't have it in my, uh, in my Bible, but I, I've got it on the screen. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, it is so significant that Jesus' best friend records that the first spoken words about Jesus, John says, look who's coming. It is, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't say, hey, look, it's Jesus. Hey, look, it's the Savior. Hey, look, it's the Messiah. He doesn't say, hey, look, it's the most powerful, loving, life-giving, creative, way-making being ever to exist, what does he call Jesus? The Lamb of God. What were lambs used for? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Can you get back to that? Why is it significant that he's called the sacrifice of God? If Jesus is not eternal, if he's not 100% God, and he's just 100% human, his sacrifice would have worked for the people there who offered it. But because Jesus is 100% God, the sacrifice of God now extends all the way to January 6, 2019, and check this out. It will extend to January 6, 2020, and to January 6, 2021, and 2022, and 2023. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will extend all the way until Restore Church ends. It will extend to your children's children and their children and their children, the Bible says, to the next generation and the next generation. But remember, our definition of God's eternality is not only from here to the end of time but it reaches all the way back to the beginning so the the sacrifice of jesus the resurrection of jesus not only plays for the sin to come but all the way back to the sin of adam romans calls jesus our new adam that's why it is significant that's why john one matters that's why the virgin birth matters but what does this mean for you in this next year? Well, 
Maybe Jesus will become more than a guilt trip. Maybe it'll become more than a Sunday morning hobby or a Sunday morning, eh, well, I guess. Maybe Jesus will become an everyday thing for you. Maybe Jesus can offer you what the Bible says that he can, which is a foundational truth. He can offer you life past hurts. He can also offer you freedom in a world that's trying to imprison you with sin. He can offer you peace in the middle of chaos. He can offer you a new beginning even when they said you couldn't have one. He can offer you a future even despite your past. He can offer you rest. And who doesn't need that in a world full of busy? He can offer you comfort in a discomfort, in in an uncomfortable world. He can offer you hope. He can offer you the church, which can give you deep friendships, real belonging, relationships that matter and that won't fade or disappear just because you're at a next duty station. Through the Holy Spirit, you will receive guidance and direction. And man, I need those things. So for 2019, remember, here's what you can do to grow your faith and connect with Jesus tomorrow. Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. And Jesus knows the, the, the struggle you're going through. He knows the pain of loss. He knows the heart of betrayal. He knows what it means to have to move on even when you don't want to. And so uh, I'm reading a book um, called Flourish. It's about having a level five marriage. And uh, it's written by Deb and... Larry Walkemeyer, it's free online, and you should look it up and read it if you are married. And if you are not, you should look it up and read it, because it's good. In the chapter that I just finished uh, the other night, it, it talks about uh, having a, a marriage that relies fully on each other's spiritual lives, but also relying on your spouse's spiritual life and living a spiritual life together. And a lot of, uh, a lot of Christian marriages miss on that. He says that his wife, Deb, uses this phrase regularly in their home, and this is it. In 2019, this is a phrase you need to use in every aspect, not just your marriage. Include Jesus. You having trouble at work? Include Jesus. You having relationships, problems? Include Jesus. Hey, are you succeeding at life and kicking 2019 in the throat? It's only been seven days, but great job. Include Jesus. And who wouldn't want to include this, the word? Um, here's uh, another thing you need to know. His, his forgiveness extends past 2018 and into 2019. This being that we looked at, this word, this Lamb of God, um, that's why we can pray. That's why we can worship is because we have a powerful, loving, creative, forgiving, merciful God who put on flesh and died and rose again. I want to ask you one last question. Read one verse, and I'll be finished. There was a time in um, in high school uh, where I professed Christianity, but I didn't practice it, okay? Uh, I went to church with my family, but uh, I didn't act like a Christian, I did on Sunday mornings. I was really good at acting like it. Um, But uh, I, you know, during the week, you wouldn't have known. High school, uh, football, 
you know, I, it was bad. Okay. There was a time my senior year of high school where I really needed the Lord to come through on something for me. And I made up my mind during the day at school that, uh, man, if, if God were ever going to be real, I needed it now. And so uh, that night, I didn't want my parents to know I was praying. I don't know why, but it was just the stubbornness in me, I guess. And so I, I got to my room, and I was like, okay, this is it. This is it. This is it. I closed the door. Uh, I laid in bed, and right before I went to pray, I just thought, I don't deserve it. My shame just covered me. And I was like, God, he doesn't want to hear from me anyway. I've kind of ruined it. So I'll just move on. And I did. God came through. But uh, have you ever been there? Or like ever thought, man, I, I just don't deserve the relationship I have. Let me add, this is the question I want to ask. If I were to ask you right now, how much forgiveness do you need in order to have a right relationship with God in 2019? Or a new start, a new beginning? We, could, we don't have enough time for me to sit here and tell you about all of it. About all the forgiveness I need just from this past week. Let alone my whole life. And that's the point you, you can't earn enough forgiveness. But the word put on flesh and dwelt among us. I want to read this verse one more time. Because it's Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. God, we love you, and we thank you for new beginnings and fresh starts. God, we thank you that you can look past our sins and our hurts. Thank you for Jesus, who is a great sympathizer. He's gone through it, and God, thanks for... uh, Thanks for putting on flesh and moving into the neighborhood. Thanks for not being a commuter and leaving when it's tough or inconvenient, but staying when it was hard. Thanks for being loving and good, perfect. Thanks for your mercies, that they're new every day, even though I ruin them. Thanks for being everything we can't be powerful, knowing, always present. Thanks for being eternal. But I think, God, in this prayer of thanksgiving, we want to say thanks for your life. And now all those things were displayed in the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Um, God, we humbly thank you. We worship you today. We lift your name up. Um, As we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.